Everybody wants to hear about miracle cures, but if you are currently eating the standard American diet, the first thing is to start eating more whole plant foods. They're not ultra processed. They don't have all the added sodium. They help release nitric oxide, which helps relax our blood vessels. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Quincy, Massachusetts, Newburgh, Oregon, and Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 88 of season 5, number 387 overall. You know, nearly half of us have high blood pressure. Think about that. Nearly half of us. That is an estimated 116 million adults right now in the U.S. that have it. But out of that 116 million, just one out of four have it under control. And the thing is, with so many cases we risk it becoming normalized, right? We think of high blood pressure as no big deal. But it is a big deal, and here is why. Because statistics show that high blood pressure is at the very least a contributing factor in more than 670,000 deaths across the country every single year. And oh, by the way, the cost of treating high blood pressure every single year is 131 billion dollars. And it's not just a grown-up problem either. I remember being put on high blood pressure meds when I was just a, a freshman in high school. But the good news is that many, many, many of these cases are preventable. And that prevention can begin with the foods that you put on your plate, the foods that you choose, and how you live your life. So to guide us on our food journey today, especially... Dr. Yami is our guest. She joined me on the exam room live this week. So good to have her back on the show. And so we will be talking a lot about high blood pressure and also opening up the doctor's mailbag to answer questions that were sent in by the exam roomies. We have questions about cooking with salt and how do you keep it low sodium if you're eating out at a restaurant? What is the most important nutrient when it comes to controlling high blood pressure? And can those fatty whole foods like nuts actually contribute to hypertension even though they aren't processed? We're going to get all of those answers and discover the foods that can help the most. But first, 30 seconds just for you if you are looking for a good plant-based doctor. The Barnard Medical Center is powering this episode of the Exam Room Podcast. Their doctors and dietitians practice lifestyle medicine and promote plant-based nutrition with in-person visits in their Washington, D.C. office and telemedicine appointments in 18 states. Visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to learn more. That's barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. And with that, we welcome Dr. Yami back to the exam room live, fashionable as always, my friend. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me today, Chuck. I'm so glad that you're here. I love the uh, the global welcome. Like that's that's cool. Wherever you are, 
Hello, we got you covered, no matter your time zone. Um, love the glasses, by the way. If you're hearing this right now, uh, you have to go and watch this video on YouTube or on Facebook and, and just look at these extraordinary rainbow frames that Dr. Yami has on right now. I mean, you just bring the color every single time you're on the show. I love it so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about high blood pressure. Uh, you are a pediatrician by trade, um, but before we get into what we're talking about in terms of juvenile hypertension, because it ain't just a grown-up problem, let's talk about uh, high blood pressure with adults. Um, is high blood pressure a disease that is really exclusively born out of diet, or are there some external factors there as well? I mean, there's definitely other factors that play into high blood pressure. Yes, I'm a pediatrician, but I'm also a national board certified health and wellness coach. So I do work with adults and high blood pressure is a very common concern that adults have for which they seek health coaching. So we know that when it comes to blood pressure, if it weren't for the outside influences of diet and lifestyle, that actually we could maintain a pretty low and healthy blood pressure throughout our whole lives. There's a really great video that Dr. Greger has on nutritionfacts.org. It's entitled High Blood Pressure May Be a Choice, and it's from August 2015. In that video, he talks about the Yanomamo people, and they are an indigenous tribe in the Amazon rainforest. So they studied them they found that their blood pressure essentially stayed about 100 over 60 their entire lives, even through old age. And then we also know from studies from indigenous groups in Nigeria that their blood pressure stays low throughout their whole life and then it actually goes lower into old age. But here in the United States in westernized countries, we're just, we take it for granted. We think that, oh, your blood pressure just goes up as you get older. We think that that's normal, but in fact, it's probably due to some of the choices that we're making in our lifestyle. And in terms of percentages, like if we're looking at this in terms of a pie, maybe not the best analogy here, given the fact that we try to talk about healthier foods, but how big of a slice are we talking about food being in terms of contributing factors for high blood pressure? Is it like 80%, 90% of the pie? I don't, I wouldn't be able to quantify it, but I would say the majority. When gotcha. I see clients for health coaching, a lot of times we can get that blood pressure under control just with dietary changes. But then there's going to be some people that they're eating a great diet, low sodium, but the stress really is what's increasing their blood pressure. So that's something that needs to be addressed. And that's why I'm such a big believer in lifestyle medicine. And I talk about the six pillars of lifestyle medicine all the time. So you can get into that as well if you want. But I know that we're here specifically to talk about food for blood pressure. <laughs> okay. And uh, when it comes to foods that do contribute to high blood pressure, we're going to get to the ones that help here momentarily. But the ones that contribute to it, we've been seeing a lot recently uh, in the news about ultra processed foods. In your opinion, are they the biggest contributor to high blood pressure in the standard American diet? Yeah, for a couple of reasons. One is because they are loaded with sodium. And we know that sodium is one of the things that increases our blood pressure. It puts more blood volume into our blood vessels. And so there's just more in there. It increases the pressure within our blood vessels. And so sodium is something that we're mostly getting through processed foods in the standard American diet. Most people, it's not that they're just like 
loading up on the salt on top of their food. It's the processed stuff that they're eating. And even whenever you think of sweet things, like you think of cakes and cookies and things like that, those have tons of sodium in there. If you've ever baked before, you know that you have to balance the sugar with the salt to get to that delicious bliss point. So all of these processed foods, they have salt in it. And at the end of the day, it really adds up. So that's one thing. The other thing is that ultra processed foods specifically are very low in fiber for a lot of reasons. One, because they want to make them more shelf stable, um, but also just for the palatability and, you know, the digestibility. It just makes you crave more and want more. So high in sodium, low in fiber. So those are two things that go against our blood pressure and make us have increased risk for higher blood pressure. So if you flip over uh, the the packaged foods and you're looking at the ingredients, you're looking at the nutrition label, um, like, so is, is sodium fiber, those are the two biggies, but what are some other things that you might want to take a look at as you're making the decision as to whether or not you want to put that in your shopping cart? Well, I think just the ingredients list in general, <laughs> for, you know, I advocate for a predominantly whole food plant-based diet as much as possible. I mean, we're going to have some minimally, moderately processed foods here and there, but anything that you cannot make in your kitchen, so you know it has to be made in a factory, that ingredient list is going to be super long. There's going to be lots of additives. They're going to be adding in definitely the salt, definitely the sugar, but then you're going to get uh, the oils, the fats, and all kinds of artificial colors and flavors and preservatives and things like that. So first of all, just look at how long the ingredients list is. Is it just a handful of things or is it super long? And then you want to start looking at also how much fat is in there because that gives you an indication of how much of the oils and you know free fats are added into that food. And the more you have of those things, the more you know that this is a processed food. The stats that we were talking about at the top of the show, the 116 million, that, that's for adults in the U.S., but how big of a problem are you noticing in your practice uh, with, with children, mind you, uh, how big of a problem is hypertension? Well, I don't have the stats. I should have looked it up for pediatrics in specific, um, but it's definitely a problem that is going, uh, it's getting worse over time. I'm very fortunate in that my practice because I emphasize healthy lifestyles, I emphasize eating a predominantly plant-based diet and adequate sleep and managing stress and all of that, that the levels of high blood pressure in my practice are very low. But when it comes to children in general in the United States, it is going up over time. And we know that this is something that we need to keep an eye on. But something that I talk about all the time is that our children are deriving the majority of their calories from ultra processed foods. So they are getting 70%, 70% of their calories from ultra processed foods. So you can imagine these little children in elementary school, they're already getting exposed to these high levels of sodium and very low fiber diets. All right. So uh, I was actually able to quickly pull some numbers from the CDC. Um, when they adjusted uh, the threshold for hypertension, um, it is now estimated that 1.3 million children uh, in this country have high blood pressure. And um, worldwide, the prevalence is somewhere between two and four percent. That's a whole lot of kids. And it makes me think back to, you know, I've, I've told this story on the show before myself being put on high blood pressure medication when I was a freshman in high school. And what were my food choices then? It was drive through. It was pizza. 
it was ultra processed foods exclusively, nay, a unrefined food in my diet. It was always ultra processed, ultra loaded in sodium and really didn't know a whole heck of a lot um, at the time about the link between nutrition and my health, other than I was probably eating too many uh, calories and way too much fat. But looking back and adding up the sodium that I was eating every single day, no surprise to me that my blood pressure, even at that young age, was 185, 190 over 95 or 100. It was up there. For sure. And when it comes to children, the way that we measure blood pressure and it, whether it's high or not differs from adults. We go based on percentiles for their age, their gender, and their height. And so it puts them in a little percentile graph and we're able to see if their blood pressure is elevated. So it is very important. We usually start measuring blood pressures regularly at age four at all the well child checks. But if it's a concern and you feel like your child's blood pressure hasn't been checked, you should ask your child's doctor to go ahead and start taking that blood pressure because sometimes it may get missed or not taken until later. And before we get into the foods that do help, uh, what are the long-term risks that are associated for somebody uh, who has hypertension if they just don't bring that under control? I mean, the problem with high blood pressure is that it's usually asymptomatic unless it's sky high. And so a lot of people can be walking around with high blood pressure and not know it but it is a huge risk factor one for just early mortality so increasing your risk of dying before you want to obviously and then uh, stroke uh, heart attacks or myocardial infarctions i mean acute coronary syndrome heart failure and cardiovascular death so and like i said these are things that you're not feeling the effects of high blood pressure and then decades later you're getting these end results which nobody wants to experience all right. So that's all of the bad stuff, right? Now let's get the good people some help. Let's help out the exam roomies and talk about the foods that we should be gravitating toward that can really reduce our risk of having hypertension, or if you have it, really help you out in a big, big way there as well. So what foods have been shown to help really alleviate a lot of that hypertension that we're experiencing? Whole plant foods. <laughs> so <laughs> Everybody wants to hear about superfoods and miracle cures, right? Which I think we can definitely talk about those if, if people want to optimize. But if you are currently eating the standard American diet, the first thing is to start eating more whole plant foods and start moving towards a whole food plant-based diet. So that's number one more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. And we know specifically for those vegetables, because like I said the fiber, you're not, they're not ultra processed. They don't have all the added sodium, but they have other things about them too. Like they help release nitric oxide, which helps relax our blood vessels. We know that those specifically are going to decrease our blood pressure. They've also done studies on whole grains. I know that people are carb phobic and they don't want to eat quote carbs, but if we're eating grains in their whole form, they have been shown to decrease our risk of uh, high blood pressure as well. So the first step is if you're on the standard American diet, start eating more whole plant foods, move towards a whole food plant-based diet. 
So then you just kind of like keep it simple, right? Because then that basically puts like a whole lot of different food options on your plate, right? So, I mean, if you don't like onions, don't eat onions, right? If you don't like uh, rice, then eat the quinoa, right? You have a whole bunch of different options that you can choose from to load up a plate to your tastes that can really help to bring the blood pressure back under control. Um, generally speaking, do you think that it is more beneficial or it's easier for somebody to control uh, their high blood pressure when they are taking that time to prepare the meals themselves at home? Maybe, but you know, I don't think it has to be difficult. You can keep it really simple. When I do my cooking classes, there's meals and delicious recipes that I can teach that are going to take you less than 15 minutes. So it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It doesn't have to take a lot of effort. It's just a habit that you have to build. The beginning, it might seem a little bit more difficult, but over time it gets easier. So just start incorporating more whole plant foods into your meals and your snacks and just step it up from there little by little. All right. What are some of your favorite, by the way, whole plant foods? What's on Dr. Yami's plate on the regular? Well, I love oatmeal. And like I was talking about those whole grains, oats, especially if you're getting into the rolled oats, you know, oats can have different levels of processing as well. Um, either steel cut oats or rolled oats are really great options. Have that with some plant milk, some blueberries. I love it. Um, you can top it off with a little bit of nuts if you want. So that would be a great option for breakfast, for lunch. I just love having some veggie and grain bowls. So a nice bed of brown rice, some steamed broccoli, some roasted chickpeas, a delicious sauce, some herbs, hot sauce if you want on there. It's just so delicious once you get used to this way of eating. And then, you know, for dinner, there's so many things and you can take the meals that you already like to eat. Like if you like to eat pizza and you like to have tacos and those kinds of things, you can make those inversions that are going to be more health promoting for you using more whole plant foods, putting a lot of veggies in there, whether you saute them or steam them or stick them in the air fryer. There's all kinds of different ways that you can make your favorite foods more health promoting that will benefit your blood pressure. Before we open up the doctor's mailbag, and boy, do we have some uh, some great questions coming in. I mean, we're flooded. By the way, I want to say hi to Emmanuel, uh, who's tuning in all the way from Tanzania right now watching us live. That's pretty cool. I love that global impact, man. I just, I adore awesome. it. Um, in terms of nutrients, I think that some people are, are speculating that maybe potassium is a really good one for lowering blood pressure. Um, what are the nutrients, if somebody really wants to hyper-focus on something like that, that they should be gravitating toward? No, potassium is great. And like I said, we get those from whole plant foods, some leafy greens, potatoes. Um, those are all great sources of potassium. But the big one is going to be nitric oxide. So where can we get some, your big bang for your buck for nitric oxide? Leafy greens. So things like Swiss chard, beet greens, arugula, basil, cilantro, and also beets. Beets are great. So if we're going to talk about you're already, you're on a whole food plant-based diet. You're trying to look for ways to optimize or decrease your blood pressure even further. Maybe you're trying to avoid medication. Then you want to get your nitric oxide. Even if you have your oatmeal for breakfast, but you have a side of steamed greens, that's another way to get a, a hit of nitric oxide. Maybe drinking a little fresh beet juice or something like that, or just eating beets. Eating beets is great. I love to eat beets, have a beet salad. So nitric oxide is another nutrient that's going to help you lower that blood pressure. 
All right, hold on. We got somebody in the chat right now that's making me laugh. They said, uh, did you really just say to put hot sauce on your oatmeal? Is that a, is that a thing? Hot sauce on oatmeal? No, my grain, my, that was lunch. I was at lunch already. Oh, okay. But you can make savory oats though. You can make savory oats and then you can put savory oats are delicious and you can make hot, put hot sauce on that. I mean, hot sauce is good on pretty much everything. I've never done it on oatmeal myself. I may just have to try on a whim. I don't know that it would pair. Ordinarily, I'm a blueberry, banana, strawberry guy on my oatmeal. I'm not sure that hot sauce would play there. Savory definitely seems like the route to go. Absolutely. I mean, savory oats are amazing with um, some steel cut oats and you put some greens in there, um, beans, and you know, then you can... Put some nutritional yeast. Oh, it's delicious. You need to try it, Chuck. Ooh, that sounds yummy, yummy, yummy in my tummy. All right. Uh, uh, roll call time. Marta. Boy, global explosion here. Marta is watching today from Poland. Elizabeth is in Georgia. Uh, one avid vegan in the Netherlands. Very cool. Uh, we also have Jake who's checking in, watching us live for the very first time. And Anne is in Salisbury in the UK. That's very cool. Thank you guys so very much for tuning in. Let's go ahead and open up that doctor's mailbag. Uh, Pete is wondering, you mentioned nuts a little bit earlier. Pete is wondering whether though those higher fat whole foods like nuts and avocados can contribute to high blood pressure. Well, you know, I don't like to talk a lot about body size, but we do know that there is an association. So it, it's not the fat itself, it probably is if it's contributing to higher body size, higher than your body naturally wants to be, it could potentially increase your blood pressure. So I think if you have normal blood pressure and you are at a body mass index that's healthy for you, then you can add some avocados and nuts to things. But if you're still struggling with that, then you may want to see what it's like to take those out for a while until you reach those goals for yourself. Yeah, here's a quick little success story. Uh, Richard Hubbard, our good friend there, sent this in at 12.06, said, successfully reversed hypertension when I lost weight by going plant-based. No more medicine for me. Hey, the proof is in the pudding, Ooh. Richard. Yeah, that's that's the man. He's also uh, doing big things up in Connecticut, I believe, organizing a plant-based Thanksgiving giveaway um, for underprivileged families. So uh, Richard is really a, a, a phenomenal mover and shaker in the community. Uh, love that dude. Uh, Terry Gonzalez at 11.58, got in early. Our fermented foods, like sauerkraut and kimchi, safe to eat in small portions if someone has high blood pressure. Those foods obviously have some sodium in them. Yeah, they can be super high in sodium. I think every individual has to test for themselves. If you're still trying to optimize your blood pressure and your doctor has told you to keep your salt intake low, then you may want to avoid that for a while until you get your blood pressure down. But if your blood pressure is okay and you want to test it out and see if it affects your blood pressure, I think it's fine. There's so many benefits of these fermented foods. Obviously, they contribute to our gut microbiome in lots of great ways. So it is worth playing around with it if you want to incorporate them into your diet. Uh, let's get a question here from Margaret who sent this one in a little bit earlier. Margaret is wondering how much salt can I add safely to my home cooking? Well, the way that I usually teach in my classes is don't add salt while you're cooking your meal. So if you're making a pot of beans or, you know, whatever your stew, don't add salt during the cooking process. Then whenever you serve yourself, taste it. If you want to add more salt, then add a sprinkle of salt on top then. It usually actually um, 
gives you more of a sense of saltiness if you do it that way than if you incorporate it into your meal, but then you end up using less sodium overall. But I will also say that when it comes to neuroadaptation, that means that your brain and your taste buds actually adapt to changes in the flavors in your diet, it takes just a few weeks. So slowly decreasing the sodium that you're putting in your foods will work over time and you'll notice that you're more sensitive to salt. So just slowly start to decrease and then eventually you won't need as much. But start with not adding it to your meal preparation and then putting it a little bit on top when you're ready to eat. What do you think would happen to somebody who hasn't had fast food in many, many, many years, and then they eat, say, a burger and fries that are just packed with a ton of salt? Do you think that they would get that same sort of satisfaction that they once had, or would they just be like, holy cow, that is entirely too much for these taste buds? Well, I'll just say based upon my experience, because most of the time I eat a predominantly whole food plant-based diet, but of course we travel and we indulge and we go out and try restaurants and it is a shock to the taste buds. And then guess what happens the next morning? You wake up all puffy and swollen. And that is exactly how your blood pressure is going up. So you just think about it chronically. Chronically, you're getting this big salt load and everything is getting puffy inside your blood vessels. It's putting more pressure inside your blood vessels. So you can really see the difference when you just do it every once in a while. It doesn't feel good. You wake up in the morning, and you're just like, ugh. You know, so um, whenever you get off of those foods, you notice the difference for sure. Yeah, those three words together, they they do paint quite the picture. Puffy blood vessels, like not three <laughs> things that you want to string together, in all honesty. Um, to lot at 12.15, if I'm eating a whole food plant-based diet and my blood pressure is perfect, should I still avoid eating salt? I think that there are advantages. I, I did a podcast interview with Dr. Kim Williams, who we know is an amazing cardiologist. And I asked him how he does things and he does not eat salt. So for him, of course, his blood pressure is perfect. It's important enough that he wants to do everything he can to keep his sodium intake low. So yeah, I would say that there's probably advantages. Here's one. A lot of times with the uh, the table salt that we get at home, it's iodized, right? So that's a, a primary source of iodine in the American diet. But Radioactive Comrade at 1207, that's a name right there, says, I've been struggling to cut down on salt as it is an easy and cheap way to get iodine. Is there, though, a source that is as cheap as salt so I don't mess up my thyroid? I don't know how much things, as far as like the cost, salt is very cheap. But I just take a multivitamin that has iodine in it. You can also look for some other sources like sea vegetables that have iodine in them and just use a little bit. I would suspect that because you don't need that much. Iodine is one of those things that you just need small amounts. You don't want to overdo it. If you cost it out, it would probably be about the same. But then just think about the effects that salt could potentially have on your health over time then you look at the cost benefit on that, it might be worth it as well. Nilufar is wondering about the amount of sodium that is found in uh, animal food. So uh, obviously, if you're talking about processed meat, I would imagine that the salt content in that is pretty much off of the charts, Very right? High. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, bacon, your deli meats, those are some of the biggest sources of salt. But believe it or not, um, one study found that one of the biggest sources of sodium in the standard American diet is actually bread, believe it or not. 
But yes, definitely bacon, sausage, deli meats are all loaded with salt because they're using salt as a preservative. Yeah, salt and bread. Yeah, somebody in the chat, uh, Tracy mentioned that a little bit earlier too. Bread is loaded with sodium. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that this is a, a great time to, uh, we, we have a question from Catherine who's wondering if you flip over the nutrition label and you're looking at the facts for sodium, what is the maximum amount that you want to see on there? I mean, I don't usually think of a cutoff there, but when you think of your day, the American Heart Association is recommending no more than 1500 milligrams in a day. So 1.5 grams in 24 hours. So usually when they put, they put the sodium, they're putting that based upon a 2000 calorie diet and then they're putting a percentage there. So you can kind of look at that. But really any processed food is probably going to have some sodium added to it and it adds up really, really fast. Um, we have some people wondering about cheese and uh, whether that is as much of a sodium bomb as, as it is a calorie yes. bomb. It is. Yes. Cheese is not your friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, there's all kinds of bombs and cheese. <laughs> yeah, right. Put that on a bumper sticker. Cheese is not your friend. Um, is that something like even if it's a, like a plant based cheese, right? Is that something that we still need to be cognizant of in terms of the salt content that's in there? Yeah. I mean, like I said, a processed food, it's a processed food. And whenever we make plant-based cheeses, we're trying to emulate the dairy cheeses. So we're trying to make it taste the same, which means that we're adding a lot of salt to it and a lot of fat to it too. So in large quantities and frequently, it's probably not something that's going to be as beneficial for our health than eating those whole plant foods. You mentioned uh, going out to eat in your travels. Um, we have a question from Kim who's wondering whether you have any tips for eating a low-sodium meal when you're out at a restaurant. I would say look at the sides and ask lots of questions. So asking for like plain baked potatoes, asking for steamed vegetables, um, different ethnic restaurants are going to have that. You can get plain rice, things like that, that don't have any sodium added to it. Asking for things to be cooked without the sauces because the sodium usually are, is coming in the sauces. Um, but just being savvy, looking at what the sides are in the menu and just asking questions. Uh, here's a success story. Uh, Paulina in Montreal says, I've been plant-based for a little over a year. The last time I checked my blood pressure was 106 over 70. That's pretty daggone Ooh, good, right? Congrats. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, we Though on the flip side, uh, to be fair, we do have some people also today uh, talking about, well, I've been eating a really clean diet primarily whole food, plant-based, still haven't been able to really bring that blood pressure all the way under control. Does that bring genetics into play here? Or what should somebody who's kind of frustrated in that situation, what might they want to do? Yes. Let me talk about two things. Okay. So I know we want to talk about foods. So let me address the food. There are some things that you can do to give you an, a little extra boost um, if you want food-wise. So we talked about the nitric oxide, getting more of those green leafy vegetables, beets, beet greens, beet juice, those kinds of things. You can also add two to three tablespoons per day of ground flax seeds. And the other little hack that you can try is hibiscus tea, three cups per day of hibiscus tea. And these are all things that are covered in Dr. Greger's book, How Not to Die. So there's a whole chapter there on high blood pressure. And you can read that for yourself as well. So that's the first thing is adding some of these other foods to see if it helps bring the blood pressure under control. 
But like we were talking about earlier, there's other lifestyle factors that can contribute to high blood pressure. The biggest one for us in the United States is going to be stress, learning to manage the stress. Are, is your blood pressure going up every day when you're at work? You know, that's something to understand. Um, meditation, yoga, prayer, journaling, whatever you can do, or maybe even starting to look at changes in your lifestyle that can decrease your stress. Sleep is so important. Some people suffer from sleep apnea. Sleep apnea will make your blood pressure go up. So if you snore at night, if you're not rested when you wake up in the morning, think about getting a sleep study. Ask your doctor for a sleep study and make sure that you're getting seven to nine hours of restful sleep. And then the other one is going to be our risky substances. So hopefully most people don't smoke. You know, the, the rate of smoking is going down, but alcohol will raise your blood pressure. So looking at your alcohol intake, whether it's beer, wine, or any of those things, they can increase your blood pressure. And then beyond that, if you've optimized your lifestyle, you're adding some of these little food hacks, then yes, there's going to be genetic differences. There's going to be ethnic differences when it comes to high blood pressure. But there's a lot of things that you can do before you get to the point that you may want to be on medication. But blood pressure is so important that if you're doing everything you can, you're optimizing everything, it might be worth talking to your doctor about getting on meds so that you can decrease the risk of some of these end damage results and organ damage results like your heart attacks and your strokes. Uh, you know, we're talking a lot about salt, uh, but let's talk about another kind of sodium, uh, MSG found, mm -hmm. I mean, just rampant in a lot of, uh, where I was first introduced to it was in a lot of Chinese food. Mm -hmm. um, Matthew was wondering about that at 1231 and whether MSG might also be a contributor to hypertension. I would say probably yes. I don't know the data specifically, but it works the same. So it's probably doing, it's having the same effects in our blood vessels in our body. Interesting question here from Christine. Uh, obviously, if you look at the nutrition facts for different fruits, different vegetables, some are going to have a little bit more naturally occurring sodium than others. With that said, are there any that have been known to actually contribute to high blood pressure? Not that I know of. It's so low. I mean, yes, there's some natural sodium in there, but it's so low. So unless you're pickling something in sodium, like you know, obviously pickles and sauerkraut isn't a naturally occurring food. We're doing that to it. Um, I can think of something like celery that's a little bit more salty. There's some other veggies that just are naturally more salty, but the amount is so low in the whole food form that I would not be concerned about it. It really is going to just benefit you to eat those foods. The other thing I want you to think about is when we're eating foods in the whole plant form, there's other things in there that are balancing it out. Like they, it's also potassium. And we've been talking about more recently the balance of potassium and sodium. And if you're eating foods that are higher in potassium, it's probably canceling out some of the effects of sodium. So I would not worry about your whole plant foods that haven't been pickled or fermented or something like that as, as far as having too much sodium. Pamela is wondering whether oil might also be a contributor there. Uh, obviously, there's not going to be any fiber in that. Um, even if they haven't added any salt to that vegetable oil, I mean, is, is there a chance that that's something that if you're concerned about your high blood pressure, you're probably going to want to avoid? Yeah, I mean, I would just say that in general, vegetable oils, I would not put it in the category of food that are beneficial to your health and are giving you extra health benefits. So I have not seen any association between vegetable oils and hypertension specifically, but that's also not a reason to just start frying everything because we know that fried food has other 
risk factors to it as well. So in general, I would probably just avoid oil for the most part. That would be my recommendation. All right. A little bit more practical advice. We've got time for a couple of others. Uh, we got a lot of people joining us live today. This is fantastic. Uh, we talked about tips for going out to eat at a restaurant, but what if you're in a real pickle and you find that only the drive-through is your option? Maria is wondering whether there are any types of fast food that may not contribute to high blood pressure. Oh, it's really difficult. I do a lot of videos with uh, fast food and different options that you can eat more whole foods. But in fast food, really everything has sodium in it. I could think of maybe you could go to Panda Express and get some plain rice, but even their veggies, they put quite a bit of sodium in them. The veggies are delicious, but there's quite a bit of sodium in there. Um, Wendy's, you could probably get a plain baked potato. Um, off the top of my head, those are the ones I can think of, but it's it's a little tougher. Fast food is definitely going to be a little tougher. No doubt about it. Um, and we have, let's see here, what do we let, let's broaden our scope a little bit today uh, and and take a curveball here. Uh, we have a question from Video 1000 Nights, not necessarily related to blood pressure, but something that uh, I've heard on the show from time to time, people writing in asking about. Uh, Video 1000 Nights at 1206. Hi, Chuck and Dr. Yami. Do you have any suggestions for if I am often always hungry soon after I eat? And they say that it's not necessarily tied to to what it is that they're eating because a lot of times it's a high fiber, whole food, plant-based meal. Well, it's hard to know each in, you know, without getting more information because each individual is a little bit different. But what I usually tell people, especially if it's a recent transition to a whole food, plant-based diet, a lot of people are used to eating foods that are more calorie dense because you're, they're eating more ultra processed foods, higher fat foods. So if they're trying to maintain weight and feel full, then you just want to make sure that your foods have a mixture of some higher calorie density plant foods, as well as a lower calorie density plant food. So we want to get our fruits and our veggies and, you know, those kinds of things. But you also want to make sure that you're getting your beans and your whole grains. And if you are, you know, like I said, if you want to maintain your weight and you're doing well with that, then adding some nuts and seeds in there too. And that way you're feeling full and satisfied and you're getting enough calories that last you a few hours. If you're focusing just on salads and greens and you know fruits and vegetables, usually you have to eat really huge volumes, a big quantity in order to get enough food to feel satisfied for several hours. So that one would probably take a little bit more counseling in depth to figure out what things we could tweak. But in general, that's what I see is that people are focusing more on the lower calorie density fruits and vegetables and not adding enough of some of the higher calorie density um, whole plant foods in order to get satisfied. Let's take two more here. We'll uh, wrap up with a blood pressure question, but let's do another departure. But before I ask this one, I, I want to ask everybody who's in the chat room, all of the exam roomies to uh, answer it in the chat for us today, because this one comes up time and time and time again. But Dr. Yami, I can't remember asking this of you here on the exam room. And it comes to us from Mickey at 1217. Here it is. How do we get enough protein with whole plant <laughs> foods? I knew it. <laughs> I knew it was going to be protein. OMG. So just eat an abundance of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. Make sure that you're getting sufficient calories and you're getting enough protein. And if you are the average American just living your life, having your job, doing your stuff, 
it's going to be plenty of protein. Don't worry. And especially even for children, it's enough protein. As a pediatrician, this gets asked by parents all the time. If you're eating a variety of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, you are getting enough protein. All right, there you go. So don't forget to keep posting your favorite plant-based protein sources in the chat. Uh, let's really school some people up. Even if they come back and they watch this a year from now, they can just scroll on down and be like, oh, that's got, pro I didn't know that had, pro that has protein too. That, oh, oh my goodness gracious. I don't need steak. How about that? Uh, all right. Final question is kind of an inspirational one for somebody who has really been struggling with high blood pressure for years. And they feel like no matter what it is they do, they just can't seem to get it under control. Maybe they haven't tried the plant-based diet yet. So uh, Venu, 1237. Is it possible for someone to come off of blood pressure medication? How do they do it? And what steps should they be taking? Yes, absolutely. Like I said, I'm a health and wellness coach and I do this all the time. Whenever we're able to transition people into a whole food plant-based diet from the standard American diet, they're getting, they're reducing their intake of these processed foods. And then of course, working on some of these other lifestyle factors. Yes, I've been able to have patients come off of medication, but also just avoid getting on medication in the first place. And it feels great. So people usually are coming to me very motivated and they're ready to make changes. So if you're at that point, try it. And when it comes to the guidelines, the American Heart Association guidelines, when people are at this early stage of high blood pressure, that is the recommendation anyway. The recommendation is lifestyle changes for three to six months before we consider putting somebody on medication. There you go. Uh, by the way, some of the uh, the big protein sources, in case you guys are curious, you're listening to the podcast, chickpeas, quinoa, beans, potatoes, whole grains, uh, basically every whole food, uh, every whole plant food uh, has some yes. semblance of protein. There's a lot of great options that are in there. Um, and you mentioned uh, your health coaching here. If somebody wants to work with you, Dr. Yami, where can they find you? You can find all my information at dryami.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com. And it just so happens there's a link to that very website right now in the show description. So just look below right there and click on that link. Also, be sure to give Dr. Yami a follow on the Instagrams at the Dr. Yami. Same for Facebook, facebook.com slash the Dr. Yami. Uh, you are just phenomenal. I love it every single time that you're here. We have such great conversations. And I gotta up my eyeglass game because I mean, th what, what's happening on your face right now is just an 11 out of 10. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chuck. Thank you everybody. And have a wonderful blood pressure day today with all your whole plant foods. Don't forget to join us Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook for the exam room live. Interact with us. Hang out in the chat room with the other exam roomies. Ask the doctor your question right there live on the air. So set a reminder, mark your calendar for Wednesdays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. But with the caveat, because the schedule is a little unique next week because of Thanksgiving here in the States. So we are actually going to be doing a special edition of the exam room live on Monday. That's Monday, November 21st. And our good friend and plant-based culinary kitchen whiz, Brittany Giroudi, will be here with us. She's going to give us some last minute Thanksgiving ideas that will satisfy everyone at the table, even those who might be with you wondering, 
where's the turkey? <laughs> so she is here. If you have any Thanksgiving questions that you would like to ask, go ahead. Join us Monday, November 21st, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And of course, the replay will be right back here on the podcast on Tuesday. And then next week, we're going to be off for Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. But we're going to come back the following Monday with a big push to the end of the year, getting you through the holiday season and getting you ready for a new year and a healthier you. And speaking of a healthier you, you know, we love to hear how much your health has improved since you've been listening to the exam room and started to eat a plant-based diet. So let's hear one of those stories right now. Get a little bit of inspiration as we dip in for a little five-star health success. A five-star health success is where you tout your health accomplishments by leaving a five-star rating and nice review with your story on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your shows. And today's comes to us from BTLNC, who shared this review on Apple Podcasts. They write, I am in my mid-60s and active. Wasn't always that way, though. I started out a couple of years ago at about 210 pounds. I'm just five feet, nine inches tall. I had all kinds of digestive and health issues and I kept gaining weight, but couldn't figure out why. And after almost every single meal, I felt miserable. I had migraines and I felt sluggish. My doctor even scheduled me for gallbladder surgery. Finally, I went to a wellness center that measured my body fat and it was over 25%, which is considered to be obese. They suggested I adopt a plant-based diet. I'll admit, I was skeptical at first, but I did it and my life has changed. I went all the way down to 114 pounds and my gallbladder pain went away. I don't need that surgery any longer and my energy is off the charts. Best of all, I feel great after every meal. Can you imagine that? I mean, feeling sick every single time you eat something. A meal, a snack, it doesn't matter. You're going to pay the price for it. That is no way to live. But I am super excited that that is no longer an issue for you and that you have your life back. And oh, by the way, you lost almost 100 pounds. Congratulations. I am super pumped. Super, super pumped. Thank you so very much for sharing that. So cool. And if you have your own five-star health success, we want to hear that one too. Remember, leave a five-star rating and your story in the review box on Apple Podcast or wherever it is that you get your shows. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible, extraordinary Dr. Yami and her amazing eyeglasses for being here to raise our health IQs and talk about lowering that high blood pressure. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Plant-based.